Greetings, Every Nation New York. Uh, my name is Pastor James Lowe, and I'm so happy uh, to be here online worshiping with you today. And while um, we've been online and in person in Nashville, Tennessee, I want you to know this is a special moment for me, and I feel like I have a word from the Lord. So I want to pray, and we'll get right into the word. Lord, I just ask that you would bless everyone listening to this word. God, that it would strike and hit the mark, uh, that it will break up the fallow ground of the heart, that your word can go down deep and take roots and it can grow and it could be a joy and rejoicing in our soul. God, I thank you for moving in a supernatural way. Touch every heart, touch every life, touch everybody right where they're at, no matter what they're going through. Now I ask you to think through my mind, speak through my mouth, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. And even if you're at home right now, say every glad and happy heart, turn to somebody on your left or your right, or look at the screen and say, amen. You know, a little song was in my heart when I just uh, woke up this morning. He's got better things for you. He's got better things for you. He's got the Holy Ghost and fire. He'll help you make it through. He's got better things for you. Hope for all you say and do. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. He's got better things for you. I pray you believe that today. You know, um, it seems like people in our world right now have absolutely given up and it seems to be like a, a despairing in life. And I'm not talking about people who like just want to go and maybe commit suicide or kill themselves and be destructive in that manner. I'm talking about people who resign themselves to a slow death, resigning themselves from life, resigning themselves to loneliness and apathy. And just um, it, there, there seems to be a lack of a purpose driven life. That's the type of slow death I'm talking about. Um, it seems to me that we become absolutely cynical. Um, seems like everyone has uh, braced themselves for the next challenge to happen, the next shoe to drop, the next calamity to come. We were just walking in New York uh, the other day and I saw uh, barricades put up absolutely everywhere like we were getting ready for something negative to happen, even though we didn't know what's going to happen. And when you stay in that posture, you become tense. Um, you become rigid. Seems that these behavior patterns have become proof that whatever our world has been doing, however we've been, it's not working. Um, we were with um, the team, this team with Nathan and Elsa and, and, and Kaz. We were all in, in the park and the police officer asked us the question. He says, does everybody hate everybody? I mean, that's a challenging world. That's a dismal world. That's a hopeless world. I said, no, I don't think everybody hates one another. But I think fear has caused us to lose objectivity. And we're bracing for hurt. We're, we're bracing for someone lying on us, misunderstanding us, or perhaps, I don't know if you like this word or not, canceling us. <laughs> Simply put, we have lost hope in each other, the world, and more importantly, God. We had confidence, but it seems to have dissipated 
it no longer is working. When George Floyd was first killed, my 17-year-old um, son came to me distraught, wanting to really sacrifice the future of his life to really just go and figure out how he could uh, fight against injustice. And um, he came to me and, and he was talking to me as a father. It was a very serious moment we were having uh, at our table. And, and, and he just looks at me and he says, Dad, I know you're going to tell me that prayer is the answer. I know you're going to tell me the gospel is the answer. But dad, that doesn't seem like the answer to today's injustice and inequity. Give me something else. He had a level of hopelessness that in that moment didn't make him want to kill himself, but it made him want to live a purposeless life. It was somehow becoming meaningless. He lost hope. We've lost hope in anything of this world and its ability to change. And when we look at our character today, Moses, as much as we can all think about the heroics that Moses has done throughout the Bible, he's a person we're going to meet on the journey who has simply lost hope. He's still living, but he's not really alive. He's existing. And perhaps in your home right now, you feel shackled, you feel overburdened and overwhelmed with a life that promises you good and gives you very little in return. And I want to speak to that hopeless feeling here this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 3. We're going to start at the first verse, and I'm going to go verse by verse and give you a little bit of a narrative of his life. And you might find yourself in here Unfortunately for me, I found myself as I was reading these scriptures. But the delightfulness of God is he's going to bring us out. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian. Midian and and he, he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this seems like there's nothing really uh, spectacular or special to say about these particular verses, but I want you to know that Moses has had a, a significant fall from grace, that at one moment he was in Egypt where it was lush and it was plush and he was a prince and he was educated and he was prominent and he had a future and everything was seemingly going right. And he ends up uh, in a desert, in a wilderness place with, with a new home, with a bad job, uh, you know, tending sheep, staying with his father-in-law, brother was broke. Moses had had a life at one point that has some prominence and now he's got some pain and he is not just thriving in life. He's just existing in life. Do you feel like that since the pandemic? That that, 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 that that fruitful season you were in, that upward trajectory that you were in, that everything was going right that you were in, that defeat of sin that you were in, and somehow it all creeps back in and you're in bondage. You're locked away in a life you didn't even imagine that could come upon you. Moses is in that situation and it feels hopeless. The wilderness that he was in was called a dry place, a desert place. Are you in that dry place? Oh, I've been in that dry place. My son, James, was in that dry wilderness place. Let's go on to verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. 
and look and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this sight of this burning bush. Now, this was not unordinary for a bush to be burning in the desert. This is something that, 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 that happens over, over time. And I can imagine that he's always seen bushes that were burning. So when you see something enough times, when you become familiar with something, you don't notice your wallpaper anymore. You don't notice um, your furniture in the room. You just don't notice things. But something finally got his attention, and it was God. Do you think this is the first time that God was trying to get his attention in 40 years? Do you think that this is perhaps the, the first time the Lord has done something out of the ordinary or extraordinary to get Moses' attention? I don't believe so. I believe the nature and the character of God is that he's always trying to get through to you and always trying to get through to me because he loves us just that much. Don't believe that the Lord is silent. But what is it taking for him to get your attention? Because our attention is grabbed by so many things. Even though Moses' life is hopeless and he's in a situation where, where, where his life doesn't have as much meaning as it did before, he's still existing, he's still living, and he, and, he, and, he, and he doesn't seem to be pursuing anything greater. You see, that's what happens to us. We still get on our social media, but it's not taking us anywhere greater. We still go through our, our mundane practices in life, but it's not taking us anywhere greater. And we don't seem to have a purpose-driven life. We have a hopeless life, but we're still living life. What does he have to do to get your attention? Because he's got to get you to look up from your phone to see him. He's got to get you to look up from the mundane to see him. He's got to get you to look up from your pain of your present circumstance just to see him. And he gives him a sight. It's a miracle. Now, for me, I can remember that time when um, uh, my, my father and my and my sister and I, we were in a car accident on the way to church and it almost took our life out. You know, I'm going to tell you something when you're in a car accident and you know you should be dead and the car is mangled and everybody's saying, how did they get out? And then you find yourself in church service. You are there crying and you're worshiping and you're saying, God, I'll give you everything because he gets your attention. Sometimes he gets our attention through the circumstances in life that we go through that are calamitous. Sometimes he gets our attention by giving us some type of a miracle. I don't know what's going on with you, but I want you to know that God is trying to get your attention. One word from him can change everything. One word from him can make you forget what you lost and think about everything you gained. Let's keep going on in this scripture. He said, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight of this burning. See, when God finally gets your attention, he can get your cooperation. When he finally gets your attention, he can get your cooperation. We don't have Moses reacting to God in all of these 40 years. But when he gets your attention, I'm going to turn aside. What does he want you to turn from? Who does he want you to turn to? And, here's a, and, and, Moses, uh, and, and Moses said, I will turn aside. And verse 4 said, when, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Ooh. I love it. You can almost preach this part yourself. When the Lord saw that his heart was going to be open, when the Lord saw that, that he was willing to turn from apathy and hopelessness and, and, and look 
perhaps for the miracle sign that God was up to something. When, 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 when he saw that his name could actually be called and, and he would actually recognize something personal was happening to me, something specific and individual that's happening to me, some rhema is happening to me. If you could only recognize that this message might be going out to thousands of people, but it's a specific message for you and God is calling your name. And I don't know what your name is, Bobo, Kiki, Ha Ha. Oh, I don't know what your name is. My name is James and I love it when God calls my name because he knows your name and he knows to call you. He's making sure that Moses actually knows that it's him he wants because there's a Moses, Moses. It's no mistake. He's not calling his father-in-law. He's not calling the other people around him. He is calling him up and out into his destiny. He's calling him out of the place of pain and out of the place of confusion and out of the place of no vision. And he's calling his name. And here's the thing I love about Moses that's pretty powerful. He said, here I am. Because sometimes when God is speaking to us and we hear the voice, we run. Sometimes when God is speaking to us and we hear the voice, we fear. Sometimes when we, when we, when, when we hear the voice, voice, we just stay still. And as if it be, his voice becomes wallpaper to us, it becomes furniture to us. It just becomes another thing we've heard, but we can't seemingly respond to. Here I am. Will you please give Jesus the here I am he's looking for because today he's calling you. Right now he's calling you. No matter what your circumstance or your situation, God is calling you up out of your sin, your bondage, your pain. He's got a word for you. Oh, I love this so much. Verse 5 says, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. The place you're standing is holy ground. Can you imagine how powerful a statement that was? An ordinary place becoming extraordinary. A secular place becoming uh, sanctified and holy. A man moving from one dimension to another dimension where the greater glory of God is showing up in that place. I know that sometimes we think about the pandemic as being a, a, a terrible uh, narrative that has caused the life that we were living to be interrupted and the life we're now living don't like. But you know what I like right now? I am talking to you in your home. And it is no longer a, sac a, a, a secular place. It is now a sacred place. It's a holy place. And God is visiting you in your house right now. And he's reminding Moses that it doesn't matter your pain. It doesn't matter what you've been robbed of. It doesn't matter how far you've been driven away from. I show up in the place that you reside and God is showing up where you reside right now. And that place is holy because he's there. It's not just holy, like do everything right. Like, yes, Moses, you should honor God and take your shoes off. He says the, the fear of the Lord is the, uh, the, the beginning of wisdom and depart from evil is understand. Yeah, yeah, he, he, knows, he knows that there's something good. God is holy. He is not. But it's greater than that. He is saying whatever you thought didn't make sense. Whatever you thought about your life before that maybe it was worth little, the fact that I will show up tells you it's worth a lot. It's holy ground. Your home is a holy place. I want you to know that it's holy. And then he says, he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I can imagine that We'll get into it in our next point, but Moses is going through somewhat of an identity crisis. 
from the beginning and the inception of his life, you know, it's been a little bit of uh, rejection and acceptance, then rejection again, and, you know, just finding his way and finding his, his place. But he says, I'm the God of your father. Oh, man, it's like, you, you thought you were out of this. I know sometimes when we're in isolation and we're alone, we think that we're not connected to God. We're not connected to the family of God. We're not connected to the, the greater kingdom in the world. But I'm here to let you know that the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God didn't just have a covenant to Abraham, didn't just have a covenant to Isaac, didn't just have a covenant to Jacob. He's got a covenant to you, Moses. And guess what? You sit in your home. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God to you. He's not just trying to tell you what you're about to come out of. He's trying to tell you what you have uh, in store for you. And he says, and Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. See, this is what happens when God really shows up. You know, you don't get into an argument with God when he shows up. Um, you don't get into a debate. You don't start pointing the finger and you don't start thinking about what he's not and how, what he hadn't done right. When the awesomeness of God actually shows up, you begin to recognize what you're not. You know what Moses probably was doing? Because when, when the light of God shows up, you recognize the darkness on the inside of you. You recognize the sin on the inside of you. He, his mind probably went back to the murder he had committed. It probably went back to how he was a fugitive. It probably went back to some of his failed attempts to to do the work and will of, will of God. All of his failure, all of his guilt, and all of his shame came face to face. I, I got to hide myself from God. Are you hiding from him? Is it easier for you to, to, to barely think about your spiritual life or just in a few moments in, 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 in the, on, on, on Sunday morning when we're, when we're all gathering together online? Is it too difficult to get into his presence? Because when you get into his presence, you realize what you're not. But remember... When he can get your attention, he can get co your cooperation. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. This isn't bad. You know, Isaiah got into his presence and, and, he, and he fell like a dead man and said, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. It helps us understand he's glorious. Like you, I've been worshiping online and I realize there are things in my house that don't match with the sacred God who's coming in my house. They're, they're too secular, they're too sinful, they're too, they're, they're too close to something that offends them. And it makes you purge your life. It says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I have known their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of the land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey um, and a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, the Havites, the Jebusites. God is demonstrating that he sees your pain. And that's hard. It, I'm going to tell you, I want to be transparent and human with you when I read this. You see me, why didn't you do something faster? You hear me, well, help me. There's sometimes when God said he sees, he hears, he knows, and, and we want to control that narrative. If you see, if you hear, if you know, then, then do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, the way I want you to do it, because I need it now. And we somehow have hopelessness, but there's hope in God because there's purpose even in the pain. There's a 
hope in the process. Can imagine that your mind went there when you heard that. But God is saying as an encouragement, I've got a plan for you. And it's to bring you out of where you are, out of oppression, out of being squeezed, out of the hand of your taskmaster, out of your sin, out of your guilt, and out of your shame, and I, the Lord, am the one who's going to deliver you. See, he sees your pain. He's got a plan. It's him. He's the plan. I will deliver you from the hand of all these people. And, and bringing you into a promised land, you know, you know, here's the thing. When you've been in a desert place, of hopelessness, when none of the rules, the laws, or the standards actually apply to you in a way that will bring you life. You stop thinking that a Beulah land, a promised land, a, a, a sweet land, a land flowing with milk and honey is even available. There's a lot of people who seem to be faring okay during the pandemic and, and it's, it's declining numbers, but some people seem to be faring well, but, but there's a lot of people who are not faring well. It did something to you psychologically and you lost hope. It did something to you financially and you lost hope. It did something to, to structure your family. Some of you, like me, have even lost loved ones to it. And it seems like there's no way that the land can be sweet again. But I'm here to let you know that the promise-making, promise-keeping God is not making that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and leaving you out. That promise is for you, for your children, for your children's children, and all who call on the name of the Lord. It's in you sitting on your couch. It's in you watching from your car. It's in you watching with a watch party. It's for you. The promise is for you. Remember, he called Moses by name. Moses, Moses, this promise is for you. I'm not just bringing the people out. I'm bringing you out of your hopelessness. Verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's not that it's, I see your pain. It's not just that I have a plan. My plan is you. Isn't it great? When God says, I'm going to deliver, but guess what? You're going to be a part of my team when I do it. And one of the things we know, when God shows up, you're on the winning team. You're on the winning side. He never loses. You are part of the solution. You are part of the people's deliverance. You are part of the world's deliverance. You are part of the church's deliverance. You are part of the breakthrough. I know you might be sitting there thinking I'm broken down and I know I'm, I'm weak and I'm one of the least ones, but God is saying to you, what's what Moses felt, that your life is not hopeless. It's not without meaning. It's not without purpose. God wants to use you, every nation, New York. God wants to use you when you're sitting there on your couch. God is here to restore your hope and build you back up and give you a future and a calling and a mission and a ministry. He he wants to use you. He said, but Moses said to the Lord, who am I that I should go and tell Pharaoh? Uh, I love that when we recognize what we lost, we've got to confess it. A lot of you are sitting there saying right now, are you hearing this message? This is a good message about Moses. No, it's about you. And it's about how God, the deliverer, is coming to you to remind you 
because you've forgotten that from the moment that Moses was born, he, he, he knew Moses before he was in his mother's womb. He knew that he was called to be a deliverer. He knew that Moses had tried to use his delivering gifts without the power of God before, without the word of God before, and it went really wrong. He knew that he had lost his way, his ministry way. He knew he had lost his purpose and his future, but he's still saying, I need to use, lose you. And even if you forget who you are, God doesn't forget who you are. He commands us to fan our gift into flame. He commands us to, uh, to, 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 to stir ourselves up. He's trying to tell Moses, Moses, nothing's changed. The gifts and the callings are without repentance. And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you, that you have brought these people out to serve God at this mountain. It's funny that he didn't answer the question. He said, who am I? Did I go to Pharaoh? He said, don't worry about who you are. This is who I am, and I'm the one who's going to bring you out as proof. I'm going to abuse you to bring the people out. A lot of times that we're waiting on everything to line up perfectly. We want to sit on the, the, the holy psychologist's Count the Holy Ghost Council couch, and we want to take a deep dive into every area of our life from our childhood to adolescence to adulthood and every brokenness. And it's not wrong to go to the counselor for that. It's not wrong to go to an earthly counselor for that. But he's bypassing all of Moses' pain and taking Moses to a purpose and to a place where he can have some real power. And see, this is miraculous. He's stepping into Moses like said, I'm the deliverer who's reminding you who you are, and you're going to work with me and you need to see you know what when you're going to know it all worked out when we work it out some of you are waiting on the world to be safe enough for you to come live in it come live now when you hear that don't hear irresponsibility hear the word of the lord telling you what life looks like for you now and it may not look like the fearful situation you've been in god is calling you up and he's calling you out let's look at our final point here and it starts in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And he is uh, and, and they asked me, uh, what is his name? What shall I say then? God said to Moses, I am. Who I am. And he said it and he said, this is to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Don't worry about how people receive you when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and Yahweh, Jehovah God, the great I am, has received you, has sent you. Don't worry about going into the king's place, the president's place. The count. Don't worry about the seats of power. Don't worry about how people react to you. Worry about how you are fulfilling your assignment because God is getting ready to bring you out of bondage to the promise. Don't worry about what people think. He said, I am the great I am. I am the one who becomes or the becoming one. The one who becomes everything you need when you need it. You need provision. He says, I am your provision. You need wisdom. He said, I am your wisdom. You need bread. He said, I am the bread of life. You need uh, healing. He said, I am the healer. I am the great shepherd. I am. You fill in the blank. Whatever you need not to be hopeless, helpless, apathetic, kind of sort of maybe in the game, but out. 
living life mundane and blind and aimless. It's not who you are called to be, Moses. Oh, I'm sorry, Kim. Oh, I'm sorry, John. Oh, I'm sorry, Lucy. Whoever you are, fill in the blank. He's whatever you need. Verse 15, God has said to Moses, say these things to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Japheth has sent me to you. And the I am, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout generations. He's saying, I know you might have thought this is a new situation. Moses is introducing you to a new God. But I'm the God you've always prayed for, to for generations. I'm responding to your cry. I'm responding to your call. And this is not just a promise to Abraham of the past. This is to Moses' generation right now, you, the children of Israel. And guess what? God showing up, being known as the great I am for generations is your promise right now, every nation in New York. What am I really saying if you really want to get down to it? There is nothing that is impossible for you. If God before you, who can be against you? What is holding you back from being your greatest? What is holding you back from being good, for being uh, on mission and on task and doing that which God has called you nothing? And I promise that I will bring you up out of your affliction of, of the Egyptians to a land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Persians, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I love when God says it a second time. I wasn't playing with you when I said, that I see your pain and I have a plan and it's you. I, I'm, I'm bringing a promise to you. I wasn't playing games. I'm not just getting you excited that healing is on the way, that freedom from sin is on the way, that breakthrough is on the way, that prosperity is on the way. I'm not just playing games with you. I'm fully automating my deliverance plan to you. Uh, and, and they will listen to your voice. God is saying, even before you get there, they're going to listen to you. Because when you show up with a word from God, people listen. And you and the elders of Israel should go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let go. Let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Isn't it funny that the answer to their hopelessness, the answer to their oppression, the answer to being squeezed, the, the, the smallest of requests, here are slaves. He didn't even say yet, hey, I'm going to completely bully you out of slavery. The, the, the first problem I'm bringing you to land, but, but, but he said, just give us three days to worship. One of the most colossal things that I think happened during this whole pandemic, and please hear me, hear, hear me when I say this. Please don't think this is a political statement, and please don't think that I'm being rude when I say this. One of the, things, the worst things I think that, that happened is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was not considered an essential service. It is, it is one of the greatest grievings of my heart. It is essential that you worship. Do you know, in fact, that it is scientific in, 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 in Vanderbilt, they did a study about, about people who worship and worship together, that their health, their mental health, their, their physiological makeup, their cholesterol levels, their high blood pressure, that, 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 that you, you, you will extend your life 50% uh, greater less complications, less stress, worshiping together. Physically worshiping together does that. 
You know, so we have suicide rates going up, depression rates and fear and anxiety and everything because we forgot that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in the body. You need spiritual nourishment. You need one another. And I know it may be difficult, but you fight to get into your life group. You fight to get into your connect group. You fight if they open up a, a service in the park or they open up the facility or if you hadn't known how to pray, you pray that they open it up because it's not just somebody that's lost line, life that's on the line. It's your life. It's your health. It's your long life. And it's his answer to your hopeless situation is come worship in the desert time, in the desert place. Give me three days. Give me three days. Come, let us worship. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. I know the world won't see this is essential. I know that the world won't notice that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to live and thrive for everyone to live and thrive. I know that no one will consider that your life would be better and the life of others will be better if you worship. And I know they'll resist it, but don't worry about it because I've seen it. She said, so he said, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Don't worry. When the deliverer comes, no one can hold you back from your promise. No one can hold you back from your blessing. God is delivering you, every nation church, out of every bondage and bringing you to a promise. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you should not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for her silver and for her gold jewelry and for her clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. What is he saying? My deliverance is so thorough. Yes, I have a plan. I have a promise. I have a man to help you. I'm bringing you out of bondage. I'm bringing you to that promise. But you can understand, it's more abundant. Whenever, according to, um, I think, Exodus uh, 15 or Deuteronomy 15, that a slave was released, he was not to go, the scripture says, empty-handed. He had to be released and be given resources. No matter what the enemy has taken from you, the Bible says if we find a thief, he has to return what he took plus seven. If you found yourself in bondage and has robbed you of mental health, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't worry. God's going to give you a brain that's seven times greater. If it reminds you of emotional health, your emotional health is going to be greater. Your physical resources are going to be greater. Don't think that your retirement is over and your job and all. God is on your side. The deliverer is on your side. And if he's on your side, he'll send you a plunder. We, we have the first signs of this. This is not, not an admission that that I think that the stimulus check is good or bad. But look at that little sign that, that God shows up. I don't think that, that and, and, and I'm not trying to say that God said we need stimulus. I'm just trying to say that God knows how to give people resources. And it comes from obscure places. It comes from unexpected places. It comes from the hand of the enemy sometimes. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. This is not your worst season. This is your best season. My son James, after George Floyd's 
death feeling um, almost a year ago, whenever it happened, the hopelessness, we began to do prayer walks like we just had, have done here in NYC. And these walks were bringing um, ethnic groups together um, and, and gender and everybody was coming together and we were praying. And I remember on one of our walks that we had in Nashville, my son getting the mic and saying, I didn't think prayer was the answer, but I see now it is. I didn't think the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was the answer, but now I see it is. And with tears in his eyes, he said, God is right. The deliverer is right. He knew how to show up with Moses and give minister hope in his hopeless situation. He knew how to show up to my son James and minister hope in a hopeless situation. He knew how to show up in this church, NYC, in your city that seems uh, scared and closed in and, and give you a walk that could bring hope in a hopeless situation. And guess what? He knows how to come right to your home and bring hope in the midst of your pain and your broken situation. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you would actually say yes. Yes to God. Remember what Moses said? Here I am. See him. Because remember, if he can get your attention, he can get your cooperation. Because he sees your pain and he has a plan and a promise for you. And it's you participating with him for deliverance out of bondage. I want to pray for you. I want you to actually bow your head wherever you're at because I want you to lock in with Jesus. I wish I could, could know that song. I hear it in my spirit. He knows my name. He knows my name. And oh, how he walks with me. And oh, how he talks with me. Oh, how he tells me I am his own. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your name. Lord, I pray that each person hearing this message would hear you calling them out of bondage into his marvelous light and marvelous life. Even when we didn't have the strength to deliver ourselves, you came in our wilderness situation. You delivered us. May we be free from the bondage of the mind, the bondage of the soul, the filthiness of the flesh, and the filthiness of the spirit, through the power of Almighty God. May you release us to be free from our oppressors that, that have robbed us. And may we receive the plunder of our enemies. Bless this church, bless this people, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Thank you, Pastor Shino. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Every Nation New York. I love you so much. God bless. <laughs>